Bible open, you will need a Bible open. I'm not using the screen this evening. Definitely need a Bible open. 1 Corinthians 14, if you could. We are beginning this evening a two-part walkthrough of chapter 14, where Paul finishes what he's been teaching the Corinthians about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, where he began back in chapter 12 now about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we're good. Um, yeah, two parts. Um, this evening, recover, really, Paul covers the kind of the teaching, the main teaching of what he's got to say in chapter 14. And then he comes on to applying it and some really interesting things about how we apply these things in the life of the church, which we'll be covering next uh, Sunday evening. There's always a caveat with this sort of topic when we come to preach on it. It's, this is one of those topics where godly men and women have taken different views down the ages, so please don't be too offended. There are probably many views even among us here. I will do my best to explain the scriptures as I see them. Feel free to come afterwards and, uh, and talk about any of these things. These are not things we fall out over, but we do want to see what God is saying and try and put it into practice, don't we? My title for the sermon this evening is Jesus Wants Bodybuilders. Not the weightlifting kind, but those who by the Holy Spirit, by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, seek to build up the body. But that's exactly what the Corinthians weren't doing as we read through those verses. Jesus Wants Bodybuilders. And I think whatever we think about the gifts of the Spirit, can we agree on that? Jesus wants his people to be those who, by the help of the Holy Spirit, want to build up the body. That's really what Paul is asking the Corinthians to do. So, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 25, intelligibility in worship, or Jesus wants bodybuilders, which is my title. If I asked you, if I asked you, how can we know in the church who is really spiritual. Who's really spiritual? What would you say? You don't have to tell me, just think about the question. How do you tell a spiritual person? In Corinth, they thought the answer was that you could tell a spiritual person by their gifts. It's very clear as we read through these verses. And actually in 2 Corinthians 2, this this comes back. The gifting, the supernatural, the experiences certain people had showed them but they were spiritual. The elite athletes of the church, if you like, the ones who were oh, God's superheroes, they're the ones with certain spectacular gifts of miracles and healing. And particularly at Corinth, there was this emphasis on speaking in tongues. That's how we know, they thought. That's how we know who to follow, who to respect, who to make leaders among us. Those with these spectacular gifts, and especially those who could speak in tongues in the gathered church. It's a person's gifts, they thought, that showed who was most spiritual. And if we want to know what the consequence of that sort of thinking is, we only have to look at how Paul describes the church in Corinth. You know, it's kind of obvious, but what sort of effect would it have on the life of the church if we believe that the most spiritual people, the godly people, the people worthy of respect and the people worthy of being listened to were those who were always showing off spectacular gifts especially miracles, tongues, this sort of thing. Well, let me tell you what sort of effect it would have. It would cause division between those who had these things and those who didn't. It would cause pride 
in those who thought they were something because of their gifts and so on. It is exactly what was happening in Corinth. It would turn some people into big show-offs. Look at me. Look at my gifts. And other people into second-class citizens. Surely he or she can't be worth listening to. They don't have any of these things. Or as Paul said in the illustration of the body, you know, one part of the body saying to the other, I don't need you, as Dav took us through the other week. Paul's been dealing with this through chapters 12, 13, and 14. We're looking mainly at 14 today, but we need to dip back into 12 and a bit of 13 to make sense of what Paul says in 14, because really it's one argument. The main point of chapter 12, really, although Paul has a few things to say, the main point, I think, is this, that it's not your gifts. Corinthians, you're wrong here. It's not your gifts that make you out to be spiritual, It's not the gifts you need to look for to find a spiritual person, someone to to see the work of the Holy Spirit in. You don't need to speak in tongues to be respected as a spiritual person. That's really what Paul is arguing in chapter 12. And he makes a few key points. Just if you flick back in your Bibles to chapter 12, starting with verse 3, Paul basically, his first point before he does any of this teaching is to make sure we all understand that every true Christian has the Holy Spirit. Not just those who speak in tongues or have these spectacular gifts. He says, as he begins this whole three chapters, he says, Therefore I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You're all spiritual if you belong to Christ. He's put his Spirit In you. It's not tongues in these things that show who's spiritual. It's belonging to the Lord. Following the Lord. His people have the Holy Spirit. Paul just wants to get that in first. And then he he says some more things. Verses 4 to 6 of chapter 12. He basically makes this point. God gives different gifts to different people. So we can each do the work he calls us to do. Let me say that again. God gives different gifts different people, so we can each do the work he calls us to do. In other words, it's not that some people have certain gifts because they're better or more spiritual. It's God's got something different for them to do in terms of serving one another. He says, verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, if you follow with me. Verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, or different ways of using those gifts to build one another up, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working Different jobs to do, if you like, as we serve one another using the gifts the Holy Spirit equips us with. But in all of them, and in everyone, every believer, is the same God at work. God gives different gifts to different people, so we can each do the work he calls us to do. Not so that one can show off and despise the other. And one way of looking at what gifts do we need here? What gifts maybe has the Lord given me? Maybe I haven't realized yet. One way of looking at that, there's, there's many ways. One way of looking at that is saying, well, what service is the Lord calling us to do? Where could I get involved? Lord Jesus, give me the gifts to do the work you're calling to do. Show me the work you've got for me, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, give me the power to do it. That's certainly one way we can look at these things. Different gifts. Moving on a few verses. Verses 12 to 14 of chapter 12. Paul explains that God gives different gifts to different people, not just because we've got different work to do, but to make us into one body. 
We all need to be made into different body parts, if you like, so that together we're one body. It's different gifts for different people. Verse 12, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized. Paul's very clear. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that every true Christian has, whatever their gifts, whether they speak in tongues or not. We were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Jesus gives different gifts so we can be made into one body. Be the the body, the people he wants us to be. And therefore, verse 15, no one should feel unspiritual if they don't have miraculous gifts. And certainly, no one should feel unspiritual if they don't speak in tongues. There have been many who have argued that down the centuries. You're not a proper Christian if you don't speak in tongues. Paul won't have any of it. That's what he's writing against in these verses. Chapter 12, verse 15, he says, Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, or because I don't speak in tongues, or whatever it is, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, the foot would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. You see Paul's point. Don't let anyone feel unspiritual, because someone else has some gift, and you don't. And verse 21, and really right up to 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 verse 30, Paul's arguing that no one should look down on a brother or sister because they don't have miraculous gifts or tongues or all these things. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Jesus distributes the gifts differently to make us one body and one part can't say to the other, either I'm rubbish or I don't need you. Jesus' work. That's what Paul's been arguing. And really, all the way through this, we realize when we get to chapter 14, it's because of this tongues problem particularly. The Corinthians made such a big deal about tongues and about tongues being what showed us to be spiritual, which is, is what he's turning to now. As we start to look at chapter 14, we get a glimpse, like we so often do in Corinthians, of the mess they got into at Corinth. They'd gone into a mess about all sorts of things, and Paul is gently correcting. They'd gone into a mess here because they thought that you had to show off your gifts to be treated as spiritual. Let me show you a couple of verses. Verses 23 and 27, you see this with tongues. Just try and imagine what the meetings, the worship meetings at Corinth must have been like for Paul to have to write these verses. You wouldn't have to write these verses about this church. What must Corinth have been like for Paul to write verse 23 and 27 of chapter 14? Look what he says in verse 23. Paul says this, So if the whole church comes together, so we all gather, and everyone speaks in tongues, every single one of us speaking in other languages, and inquirers and unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? It was just this sound of everyone speaking different languages. And what becomes clear is that these languages are languages nobody understands. Because look what he says in verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, he's correcting them. Two or three, at most three should speak, as in, don't you all speak? One at a time. Why does he have to tell them to speak one at a time? If not, because they were just talking over each other. If they were graciously all ministering to one another, Paul wouldn't have to say, speak one at a time. They must simply have been speaking over, talking over one each other. I almost imagine them trying to show off with the, using their gifts in the meeting. It's that sort of picture. It's not a pretty picture. 
They must have therefore been speaking over each other in languages that absolutely no one understood. Can you imagine? For the, for the apostle to have to, to, to give this whole chapter on this topic and to say these things? It must have been very strange and not at all edifying. Anyway, let's get back to Paul. So, Paul has been dealing with this problem of gifts and particularly tongues being used to really say who was spiritual and, and the implications of that. I just want to take you back. It's not gifts, is it, that shows who's spiritual. Do you remember from the Sermon on the Mount, what does Jesus say? There were false prophets who seemed to be very gifted. Did Jesus say, by, your, by their gifts you will know them? Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount? What does he say? By their fruit. You will know them. Matthew 7 verse 16, Jesus says, not by their gifts, but by their fruit, you will know them. By the work of the Spirit in their lives. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, and so on. The work of the Spirit in your life, beginning with love, is what shows who's spiritual. And the Corinthians hadn't grasped that. And that's why, in chapter 13, Paul stops and he talks about love. He says, I'll show you a more excellent way, doesn't he? You're worrying all about these showy gifts. He says, I need to tell you something first. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, beginning of chapter 13, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. That's the theme of chapter 13. Paul, just like Jesus, is saying, it's not your gifts that show who's spiritual. It's, your, it's the fruit, and especially the love, which is the, the first among the fruits of the Spirit. It's your love. And at the end of chapter 12, Paul tells the Corinthians something interesting. After he's explained to them that it's not their gifts, that everyone's gifts matter, we've all got to use our gifts to build up the body and serve the church, and he's used these amazing body illustrations. At the end of chapter 12, he says something interesting. He says, desire the greater gifts. We are to desire certain gifts. He doesn't explain himself there. And when we get a clue, the greater gifts must be to do with building up the body. That's the whole emphasis of Paul, about blessing one another and building up the body. But he doesn't explain what he means at the end of 12. He stops and he talks about love, chapter 13. But then in chapter 14, he returns to where he left off. If you look at that, at the end of chapter 12, verse 31, he says, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And then flick on in your Bible, if you have a Bible open, to chapter 14. where he says, follow the way of love. That's chapter 13. That's what he's just been talking about. And eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So prophecy is the greatest of the gifts, according to Paul, that the Spirit gives. And Paul is back to explain what he means. And he tries to explain what he means about using the greater gifts, which he, he could have put under this umbrella title of prophecy, by comparing the way they were using tongues at Corinth by what he wanted to do, blessing one another with what he calls prophecy. Did you see that as Dav read it? He's continually contrasting tongues and prophecy, tongues and prophecy, tongues and prophecy, all the way through that chapter. He's explaining why prophecy is better than than what they were calling tongues and what they were doing in their meetings. 
this comparison with tongues and prophecy. But we do need, therefore, to think about what does Paul mean when he says tongues? What does he mean by prophecy? And therefore, why does he call prophecy the greater gift? And why does he want us to desire it? He said he wants every Christian at Corinth, and I think it applies to us too, to desire the greater gifts, which he says at the start of 14, is prophecy. What does he mean? What are tongues and what are prophecy? It's really crucial that we kind of get our heads around how Paul is using these words here. Because these words are used in many ways through the Bible. And the, and the Apostle Paul has something quite particular to say. And we, it's very clear in the passage, we just need to look. How is he using these words, prophecy and tongues? First of all, what does Paul mean by tongues? Glossolalia, the Greek. It sounds like someone speaking foreign. Glossolalia, it's one of those words um, that sounds a bit like what it is. Languages. John Tyndale put it nicely when, when, when he was with us a few weeks back. Tongues is languages that you didn't learn at school. <laughs> languages the spirit gives the power to speak. But Paul means more than that. You see, in the Bible, sometimes tongues refers to God giving the ability to speak to others in their language. On the day of Pentecost, this happened. It was wonderful. People hearing God's praises in their own language, and that drew them to Christ. And they came to hear Peter's sermon, didn't they? It was a wonderful sign. That's not what was going on at Corinth. That's not at all what Paul's talking about. When Paul talks about tongues here, He's talking about speaking in church in a language that no human being understands, not even the one speaking. No human being understands, not even the one speaking. That's very clear in the passage. If you have the chapter open, look what he says in verse 2. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. They do not speak to people. People can't understand it. And Paul says, no one understands them. Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. This is not what happened on the day of Pentecost, is it? It's a different thing. On the day of Pentecost, people heard and it was wonderful. And look at verse 14, just another example. Paul says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So even the speakers at Corinth, those speaking in tongues, had no idea what they were saying. Blabbing, blabbering kind of people sometimes say you know you can you can try to go at this by saying the names of fruits backwards or things i don't recommend it that sort of thing it's very clear that the corinthians had no idea what they were saying it's just something they did to show off their gifts i'm not quite sure how it was a gift or what use it was paul certainly has no idea what kind of gift or how useful it was in the meeting but that's what they were doing they were babbling paul says you're not speaking to, to men you're speaking to God, maybe, but no one understands you. And even the speakers didn't understand what was being said. It's not the Christian church, is it? It sounds more like the Tower of Babel, if you know the story. God divided people because they couldn't understand one another. Very different to Pentecost, where people were drawn to the preaching because they heard the praises of God in their own language. That's tongues. Paul is talking about unintelligible worship. That benefits no one, not even the speaker. That's what he's talking about when he says tongues here. What does he mean by prophecy? As you look through and scan over these verses, Paul is meaning every kind of speaking by God's help, by the help of the Holy Spirit, speaking intelligible, understandable words, 
from the Lord to bless the Lord's people. Every kind of speaking that builds up the body. Every kind of speaking that is encouraging people in the Lord Jesus. Every kind of preaching and praying and and all the speaking we might do and testimony and witnessing that builds up the body. He's covering all of that because he talks about all of those things. He says prophecy, but then he talks about all of those things through this passage. Let me give you a few examples. In verse 3, he says, The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, their encouraging, and their comfort. Isn't that what we want from our brothers and sisters? That people would speak to us in a way that strengthens us, encourages us, and comforts us. In verse 4, he talks about one who prophesies is one who edifies the church, gives the church something good to feed on, something wholesome, something edifying. And certainly preachers want to do that, don't we? In verse 5, second part of verse 5, again, if you follow with me, In the word, he talks about the one who prophesies is greater. Talking about the greater gifts again. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets. So the church may may be edified. So even those who are given language ability, if you're actually speaking a message to people they can understand because you translate it or maybe someone else can translate it, that's kind of prophecy, isn't it? Again, that's building people up in the word. God has done that. He's given people incredible language gifts which happened on the day of Pentecost, to speak to people in languages they didn't know. Paul's really saying that's more like prophecy. It's not the tongues the Corinthians were doing, because it blesses, it builds up. Prophecy, then, is a really broad set of things. In in the second half of chapter, of verse 6, Paul says this, What good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Do you see how broad he's being? He's talking about all the kinds of ways we can speak to one another. Not just telling the future, which is what people think of when they hear prophecy. I don't think he excludes that. That's certainly not the emphasis. All kinds of speaking by God's help, by the work of the Spirit in us, that builds one another up in Christ, that encourages and strengthens and comforts. So that's tongues and prophecies. That makes sense. That's what he's dealing with people showing off and saying things that were absolutely useless, useless, benefiting no one. He's comparing that to what he wants them to do, which is to build one another up in love, in the word, and bless one another. And he calls it prophecy in that general sense. Let's just read through again, perhaps the first few verses. Read all the way down to 19, actually, of this chapter. I just want to read it. Now we've thought about the background, I've thought about some of those things. Just try and let Paul's words themselves have the force Paul intends. I'm not going to speak on all the individual words, but you get the force of it, I think, from what we've been talking about. Let's work our way through from verse 1. Paul says, Follow the way of love, serve one another, love one another, and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And we know what that is now. Desire prophecy, desire to speak to one another and build one another up. And he says, for anyone who speaks in a tongue, an unintelligible tongue, does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They are mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. That's what I want for you, Paul's saying. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. 
Speak to one another. Build one another up. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. And I think he means privately, for what he goes on to say. Um, But I would rather have you prophesy. So Paul wants every one of us to prophesy. Doesn't mean every one of us preaches. Doesn't mean every, every one of us does every one of these things. But this broad blessing one another in the word is something we all need a part of. I would rather have you prophesy, Paul says. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified. Verse 6. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, unintelligible tongues that no one can understand, he means, what good will I be to you unless I, I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Unless you can understand me and I build you up. Verse 7 gives a couple of illustrations. Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or the harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? Just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world. Yet none of them, real languages, not the rubbish they were doing, the real languages, none of them is without meaning. If then I don't grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker. There's a barrier between us, like at the Tower of Babel. A barrier. I'm a foreigner to the speaker. And the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you, you Corinthians, Since you're eager for gifts of the Spirit, you want to be spiritual, don't you, he's saying. Try to excel in those gifts that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray them in, interpret what they say. If God gives you real language ability, and God gives you the ability that knows what you're saying, and you can tell people what you're saying, Paul says, wonderful, then speak. Similarly, if God gives you the ability to speak to to someone who comes in in an entirely different language, wonderful, use that. Just thinking once or twice, Ramin's mum's been in. What would we need? Is is it Farsi we'd need? Yeah, we'd need Farsi. If I was preaching and the Lord gave me the ability to speak in Farsi, how wonderful would that be? You know, use that gift, Paul's saying. You know, if if you can explain and people can understand what you're saying, either the speaker knows or indeed... That's happened on the day of Pentecost. Bless someone in their own language. You know, that's great. But that's not what was going on. Paul's saying, look, in church, build one another up in words about Jesus that we can understand. Paul broadens out what he means by prophecy even further from verse 14. It's very clear that he includes the open prayer times we have, that we certainly have in our meetings. That's included in what Paul means by prophesy. Look what he says. He says, if I pray in a tongue, so their prayers must have been unintelligible at Corinth. Even when they prayed together, they didn't know what each other was saying. If I pray in a tongue, Paul says, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. He's talking about in church. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. Open prayer then is part of our prophesying. We need to pray with understanding and build one another up. That's part of the greater gifts Paul's talking about here, our praying. And singing then, look how he goes on. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Singing is part of that prophesying, that blessing one another in the word. 
that we can do in a spirit-empowered way. Otherwise, you're praising God in the spirit. How can someone else who is in the position of an inquirer, someone you've put in the position of not knowing what you're talking about, someone who's inquiring, what are you talking about? How can they say the amen to your prayers? Of course they can't. To your thanksgiving, to your songs, since they do not know what you're saying. You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God, Paul says, verse 18, I speak in tongues more than all of you. And again, I think he must mean privately, given what he's just said. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Five intelligible words, Paul says, can be prophecy. And he wants every one of us to do it. Five intelligible words to bless doesn't obviously have to only be five. He's just saying you can say a lot and bless a brother or sister, even with five words. It's not just for those who speak at the front or speak to the kids or talk at origin or whatever it is. All of us can bless one another with spiritual words that lift us up in Jesus, can't we? I mean, what can you say even in five words? I had a go. A few sentences that are only five words long. Jesus gave himself for you, brother, sister. That's only five words. We can say a lot in five words, can't we? So Paul's kind of making the point. To a brother or sister who's struggling, Jesus will hold you fast. It's only five words. You can say a lot, even if you've only got five words to say to one another. Maybe to someone really going through the mill, to be able to say, Jesus knows and he cares. They're just examples. We need the Holy Spirit, don't we, to give us the words to encourage one another, to be seeking those gifts that we would prophesy, that we'd all prophesy, having a word in season. We can all pray out loud too, can't we? To bless our brothers and sisters when we have times of open prayer. We can all pray. That's the kind of prophesying. The Lord can use us to really bless someone in those times. Perhaps sometimes... We don't, maybe we don't even like to call it prophecy in, in, in churches like this, but maybe sometimes the Lord speaks to us when we're praying. And maybe it's something that encourages or guides or confirms. And maybe when we share it with a brother or sister, we realize they were thinking it too. Maybe when you share it with the elders, it's something that's been on our heart. The Lord can lead in, in, in ways, can't we? If, if we're open to him, we're looking for his leading. We can prophesy. I don't mean that we're going to add to the Bible. The Bible is done. Not foundational prophecy, but we can speak words inspired by the Spirit and bless one another. How we do that, how we do it in a right way, under the right authority, God has established. That's next week's sermon. We'll come back to that because it can be done very badly. But in principle, don't we all want the Holy Spirit to help us speak and bless one another? Wouldn't it be wonderful... As Paul says he wants the Corinthians, if every one of us prophesied in that sense, we spoke to one another words from the Spirit, words from the Word of God, words of encouragement, words that build one another up in Jesus. How much more a church like that could we be? Paul wanted the Corinthians to be like that. They were very far from it. But Paul would not want any less for us, brothers and sisters. Will you eagerly desire the greater gifts? Then we have a slightly more serious sort of warning passage from Paul. Look look on verse 20. If you'll turn on to verse 20 in your Bibles. 
he gets very serious. He warns the Corinthians that what they were doing with all these tongues looked very much like, well, something very bad from the Old Testament when God's judgment was on his people. He says this, verse 20, Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, yeah, okay, as he, in terms of evil, be infants, be, be naive, but in your thinking, be adults. And he says this, he wants them to really think about what they're doing with all this tongues business. In the law, it is written with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Paul comments on those verses from Isaiah, tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Paul quotes Isaiah 28. Actually, it's worth just turning back, if you can, in your Bibles to Isaiah 28. I'm going to read you a few verses. What's going on in Isaiah 28? God is sending judgment on his ancient people, Israel. Isaiah is predicting that the Assyrians would come, and in the fullness of time, the Babylonians would come and destroy the beautiful city, Jerusalem, where God had made his name. The Assyrians came first to the north and took out Samaria and the northern Parts and the, later on, as I talks about it later in his book, the Babylonians would come too. God's judgment would come on his people who refused his word. And um, verse 28, it's, it's serious judgment being prophesied here. Woe, he's talking about the city of God here. Woe to that wreath, the pride of Ephraim's drunkards, to the fading flower his glorious beauty set on the head of the fertile valley. This is the city of God. So that city, the pride of those laid low by wine. God is sending the enemy against his people. See, he says, verse 2, the Lord has one who is powerful and strong like a hailstorm and a destructive wind, like a driving rain and a flooding downpour. He will throw it forcefully to the ground. God's people had rejected their God and God was coming in judgment. In verse 7, the prophets and the priests that should have been receiving God's word, having the dreams and the visions, teaching the Torah to the people. How, does, how are the, the leaders described of the Lord's people? Isaiah 28, verse 7. And these also stagger from wine. The leaders he's talking about, the teachers, and, and reel from beer. Priests and prophets stagger from beer and are befuddled with wine. They reel from beer and stagger when seeing visions. So when God was giving his word, they were drunk. They stumble when rendering decisions. All the tables are covered with vomit. There's not a spot without filth. What had happened to God's people? They'd utterly rejected God's word, and they were in a terrible state, and now God's judgment was coming on them. The Assyrians in the immediate context, and later on the Babylonians too, would come. God is speaking, but the people are drunk. No one's listening to the word of God. God's given his word in Hebrew. He's given his word to his people in their own language. And nobody wants it. No one's listening. In fact, even the teachers are all drunk, Isaiah says. So what does God say? He says he's going to send foreigners. They don't want his word. They don't want the Hebrew prophets. They can have foreign armies that are going to come and destroy them. God is sending foreigners. They're not even going to be able to understand. They're not going to know a word of it to enslave them and kill them. Look at verse 11. Very well then, God says. You don't want my word? Very well then. With foreign lips and strange tongues, God will speak to this people. The Assyrians are coming. The people to whom he said, and the city to which he said, this is the resting place 
let the weary rest. And this is the place of repose. But they would not listen. Paul is warning the Corinthians that he's referring to this passage. They've turned themselves into a sign of God's judgment. It was the sign of God's judgment. God sent foreigners, armies in, in judgment on his people. And they didn't understand a word of it because they didn't want his word. Paul's kind of saying to them, you Corinthians have rejected the word of God. You need prophecy, not these unintelligible tongues. You need Bible teaching. You need testimony. You need prayer. You can understand. You need people to build you up in the word of God. What you're doing is just a sign of God's judgment. Stop it. That's the sense of what he's saying. That in that sense, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, for the godless, for those in Israel who rejected the word of the Lord. He just seemed to contradict himself. but He doesn't, but he seems to. If you look on to verse 23, he seems to change his mind about tongues and unbelievers. But I think he's meaning unbelievers in a slightly different sense. Let's look, look at the next section. Verse 23, Paul now says, he doesn't want them speaking in tongues because tongues... The kind of tongues they were talking about were just a sign of judgment. Paul says this. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in unintelligible tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, people who are seeking Jesus, people who've maybe heard something about the Lord Jesus, if they come in to your meeting, will they not say that you're out of your mind? Verse 24. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in, So these are not the godless of Isaiah 28. These are not unbelievers who reject. These are those who haven't yet believed on the Lord, who are coming into the the meetings of the church. Paul says, if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, and what prophesying is, Paul means all kinds of ministry where we speak to one another by the Spirit, the Word of God. If everyone is prophesying, those who come in, the unbelievers, the inquirers, Paul says, they're convicted of sin, verse 24, and brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of the heart are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. See the difference? Paul wants unbelievers to come into their meeting and our meeting. And because of that word ministry, whether it's preached, whether it's prayed, whether it's at the door, out the back over coffee, whatever it is, everyone speaking the word of God whether it's five intelligible words or a a too-long sermon, everyone speaking the word of God. And Paul says, by the help of the Holy Spirit, with his power to to know just what to say, so that people are convicted of their sin. We know how it is. So often we hear a sermon and it feels like it's just for me. Is that not the kind of prophecy Paul's talking about? Where the preacher or those on the door, or those out the back, or whatever it is, are given just the right words, and the Spirit works, so that it's just for me, it's just for you. That's what Paul's talking about. How much I should long for that when I preach, how much we should all long for that, we will have words from the Holy Spirit that penetrate to the hearts, and that unbelievers will be brought into conviction of sin and run to Christ. God is really among you. We need this here today, don't we? Maybe someone... Some inquirer would come into this place. If you're on the door, will you be praying that you'll know just the right way to welcome them to speak words of Christ? Will the preacher be praying that they'll have just the right words as they apply the word of God? Not a lecture, but applying it to the hearts of those 
who come in, every one of us in every way, with whatever age we serve, whatever opportunity we have, being given supernatural insight, wisdom, knowledge into what's going on. Sometimes we know we're doing it. Sometimes the Lord shows us. Sometimes we have no idea. He gives us words to say. We don't know where they're from. We don't even realize we've done it. But the Lord just speaks to someone. But don't we want God to work in us and through us in this way? Maybe in a prayer time, someone could just be so spoken to by a prayer you prayed. He wasn't even expecting to bless anyone with. But the Lord used it. I think all of that, Paul is calling prophecy in, in the way he describes it in this chapter. However it happens, the result is the same. And it's wonderful. A sinner running to Jesus. What does Paul say? If an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, if we're a prophesying church, they are convicted of sin and brought under judgment by all. And the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Paul tells us to eagerly desire to prophesy. Are you praying for these kinds of things in your life and in the lives of your brothers and sisters and in your leaders? We need these things more than, more than anyone. Are we praying for one another? Are we praying for ourselves? Are we praying to be prophetic in how we speak, how we build one another up? Are we desiring and praying for it in our evangelism? For the right spirit-given words to bring people in and build up the body. Jesus is looking for bodybuilders, as I said earlier. Those who seek the power of the Holy Spirit to speak of Christ. To gather in sinners, to build them up in the knowledge of God. That we might have that spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him better as, as Paul prays for others. That we might have the words to build one another up in these things. That we pray And seek these things. Through his apostle, through Paul, Jesus commands us to build up the church as we all prophesy. Eagerly desire the greater gifts, Paul says. Eagerly desire to build up the body. Eagerly desire to prophesy in that sense. For only then will people truly say of us in this place, God is really, really among you. Amen.